I would like to give thanks to the ancestors, known and unknown, those who have paved the way for us to survive this moment of time and to have a reference point to use as a blueprint to deal with these hellish times we are living in. I would also like to give honor and reverence to the woman of the universe for your superior work, for bringing forth the spiritual information through the triple stage of darkness of your womb and giving birth to God. We would like to give reverence to the universe and praises to the indigenous. My name is Raheem Shabazz and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast. Necessary Blackness Podcast, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. with award-winning journalist and filmmaker Raheem Shabazz. This podcast is only for those who are unapologetic because the mind of the conscious man or woman recognizes no monopoly on truth. Truth is relative and always to be sought. Yo, check out the award-winning docuseries Elementary Genocide. This docuseries provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. This docuseries features Dr. Umar Johnson, Dr. Boyce Watkins, Dr. Francis Cress Welsing, Killer Mike, David Banner, Professor James Small, Kaba Kamene, and so many other people. Check out Elementary Genocide, the School to Prison Pipeline, Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration, and the latest installment. Elementary Genocide 3, The Academic Holocaust. It's all available now at elementarygenocide.com. Tune in for the drop. I am Dr. Kira Taylor, and when I'm tired of listening to fake news, I will listen to some real news, and I will check into the Necessary Blackness podcast with my friend Raheem Shabazz. Raheem Shabazz is one of my guys from way back, and you're now listening to his show, Necessary Blackness Podcast. Stay tuned. This is Akua of Cultivated Roots Media, and I choose to tune in to Necessary Blackness because staying connected to my blackness is very necessary. Yo, that's what I'm talking about, man. You'll hear it here first. <laughs> now our feature presentation. Peace and Black Power family. This is your host, Raheem Shabazz, and we are here for another episode of Necessary Blackness Podcast. And today, we got a special guest all the way from the Windy City. We got Dr. Obari. And for you, for those of y'all that don't know, Dr. Obari is an author, a lecturer, and he has a very telling book out. It's called Ladies' Man's Conversation for Young Black Men About Manhood and Relationships. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about his book. We're also going to talk about his event that's happening tomorrow in Atlanta. Uh, when's the event happening tomorrow? It's tomorrow, 6 o'clock at the Shrine of the Black Madonna, um, talking about teaching young men how to value women. Okay. Yeah. So for those that don't know Dr. Obari, give us a brief introduction of where you're from, who you are, and how you became to be the individual that is standing behind this microphone today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. First, appreciate you uh, doing the work, having the show, getting the word out, the documentaries. I've been following you, so I'm you know, a big fan of what you're doing. Um, and just in, in line with that, I mean, I feel like part of my, my work... Even even with the title "Necessary Blackness," is to help remind our people who we are, how important, how urgent it is for us to get back to our own center, to reclaim what is ours, to restore what we lost. And so, all of my work is really about that. I do it from a mental health perspective. My PhD is in psychology, so thinking about the ways in which there have been traps put in place to keep our minds stuck and stagnant, and ways that we can free ourselves of that um, is at the center of the work. I talk a lot about young black men as a a agent of power in the family and in the communities and trying to figure out how do we get our young black men in particular, how to be their fullest selves, how to get to their own integrity and character and purpose, um, they, you know, divine missions. And so I've been on that. I mean, you know, I kind of was raised in African-centered communities back in Chicago, went to African-centered schools, grew up playing djembes and celebrating Kwanzaa. So this was always a part of who I am. And then 
going to school, I went to, to uh, HBCU, so it was Blackland there at Hampton, and then I came down to Atlanta. It was in you know Georgia State for uh, for grad school, getting a degree in white psychology. But I always knew that if I was going to do work with my people, I had to always be reading Daniel Makbars and Asa Hilliers and Jawanza Kanjufus and Wade Nobles, like you know our own scholars. And so it was always trying to make sure as as whatever the work looked like, whatever I'm, if I'm teaching, if I'm, you know, from drumming, I do, I do photography, whatever it is, the center of it is celebrating the excellence of what Africa and African people have always done and will continue to do as long as we are intentional about that. So it's a little bit about who I am and what the work is about. Now, you mentioned Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu, uh, Carnell West, and Dr. Naeem Akbar. Very strong black men mm-hmm. that are. Uh, doing the work, continue to do the work. And they also wrote um, a review on your book. Mm -hmm. And um, Dr. Naeem Akbar, he calls this book a penetrating, personal, and poignant message in the language and image of the day. Jawanja Kanjufu calls this book a brilliant job in empowering black males to reach their full potential. Very powerful book. What is your relationship with them, and how did um, you get them to write a uh, review for your book? I mean, my relationship with them is, is clearly as, as a student. For the longest time, I, I grew up reading their works. Um, reading was always important to me. Even as a kid, I was always in the library, but I always understood that there was something particular about black authors that could speak to my own experience. So I gravitated to them. My, my parents had them in, you know, on their own bookshelves. Um, I, you know, I was doing stuff like kids do, playing video games, but I also made sure that I spent time reading. And so my relationship to them, I was honored to have their words, you know what I'm saying, endorsing my work. Um, I'm still a student of theirs. They still they still out here working, which is the greatest inspiration to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Because you, you see young, young cats out here and say, I'm tired. I'm tired of having the same conversations and going to the same panels. But we got elders that's been doing, doing it for decades longer than us that are still doing it, still writing, still speaking, still teaching. And so I look to them as inspiration, as guidance, as wisdom. Um, there's no way to really do this work to try to reach back to young people without having a bridge to the elder generation to help us, you know what I'm saying, to see this thing through for the, for the long haul of it and not be so short-sighted about it. So I still study them. I still watch them. Um, I still reach out to them when I can. But it's really mostly as a student, as a, as a mentee of them. And that's very important. You talked about, you know, reaching back in order to bridge the gap. Yeah. Now, Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu, he wrote The Conspiracy Destroyed mm-hmm. the Black Child. Yeah. You remember what year was that? Mm, that was 80s, um. The early 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Early 80s. Now, that book discusses everything that yeah. we talk about today that's yeah. concerning the school system. Mm-hmm. Like the premise of elementary genocide is built on mm. a lot that I read in that book. Mm-hmm. And that was from the 80s. Yeah. It was real wild about even that idea is thinking about even how long, you know, Carter G. Wilson wrote The Miseducation. Yeah. Right? Some of that stuff in there, most of it is still exactly relevant, which is sad, which is encouraging. Like, it's a bunch of stuff just to realize how many years we've been fighting the same fight, uh, which makes us, for me, you know, our generation, it makes me think that we got to be more innovative, right? We got to not be re- reinventing the wheels. We got to we got to study them because you got again, again, new scholars coming out thinking they got new ideas, and you go point to those exact same ideas in a book that was written a, a century ago. Then mm-hmm. they're like, oh man, I could have, I could have just read that <laughs> and then added to it, right? Yeah. Added my analysis, my practical application to it, and we got to be, you know, really, really got to, really got to stay connected to our elders, to the generations before us. So it's important to me. Now, earlier you you spoke about helping this generation to be agents of power yes. and get them into their divine mission. Yeah, yeah. What are some of the things you're doing outside of um, your book, outside of making uh, parents and speaking engagements? What are some of the things you're doing in your community? Um, so I, it took me a while to really, to really figure out how important it was to stay rooted in where you at. So for me, that's Chicago. Um, and I was doing a lot of traveling, trying to do the book signing thing, trying to like be on podcasts, which is dope. I appreciate the, 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 uh, the reach. Um, but I also got to make sure I'm spending some time just on the ground, you know what I'm saying? Building relationships. So what that looks like in Chicago is, um, I'm in the juvenile detention center there. I got a curriculum, a rite of passage curriculum. I'm there two days a week. Um, go back on Wednesday just to make just to make sure I, I catch them. 
Um, I got a, a Sunday session. Um, it's a space called The Quarry that uses an organization I'm, I'm part of called Real Men uh, Charities. Uh, I'm the president of the Association of Black Psychologists there. We do workshops and forums. So um, part of it is really just like finding the organizations that are in the city that you're in, joining them, not complaining about what they're not doing from the outside, but like getting into them and then changing what they do and making sure that they're active and practical. And so I've been doing that for the last couple of years, just trying to find out who are the old institutions in Chicago that's been working, that got reputations, and how can I bring young, fresh energy to it? Um, and, and, you know, make, make applicable the ideas that I write about and talk about. So there's no way around doing that and having some discipline and having some relationships that you build that are intentional every day, every week, consistent kind of stuff. Um, and it's hard to do because, I mean, you, you, you feel like you're stuck there because you can't, you know, I got to get back to Wednesday for my, my juvenile detention centerpiece. But um, there's, there's nothing more rewarding than just having to see a process through. Um, you can go talk for a workshop and do a lecture one or two hours, but like then you won't ever see them again. But like there's something about what the work requires that requires um, follow through, right? You got to talk to them, you send them away, they thinking about it, idea, and then they come back to you and say, "Man, what you just said last week was really powerful." Like I, I saw what you said in my family. Like I saw what you said manifest on the TV, and now I'm unfolding in the process that you helping me guide through that. Uh, in a way that's much more powerful than dropping in, stopping at their high school, doing an assembly, and then leaving. So um, for me, I'm, I'm learning how important the work is and, and being consistent and having engaging, you know, long-term relationships with young people. Um, so I've been doing more of that. That's powerful when you get to see other people receptive of your work and mm -hmm. you see how it actually changed them. Yeah. And that is what you're trying to do. Yeah. Be yeah an yeah, agent yeah, yeah. of power and an agent of change. I just recently spoke at the um, jail system here in Atlanta mm -hmm. at the Fulton County Correctional Facility. And um, the climate in there is that these brothers, they want to change, you know. And um, I always go and I give them an inspirational message mm -hmm. because. You know, a lot of them is seeking redemption and 95% of those that are locked behind enemy lines are actually going to be released. Right. And they're going to be released in our community. Right, right, right. So we have to get them ready and um, they have to come out here and be productive members of society. Yeah, right. So what have your experience been like um, going in behind the wall and speaking to our young warriors in captivity? Um, similar to you, I mean, I really see a lot of young people, um, cause I work in a juvenile detention center. So they 15 to 21 ish. And so it's a really, it's actually a really dope moment to catch them in. Cause like when you were in the high school, when you're like on the outside, that age range can be filling themselves a little bit mm -hmm. and they harder to reach. But like in that moment, they, they realize that they got caught, that the system caught, caught up with them, that decisions caught up with them, that whatever the traps was laid out caught them. And mm -hmm. so it, it, I got their attention in a way that I can point to the stuff I'm saying ain't no theoretical stuff. Like you literally right now can't go home. You can't call your mama. You can't like roam freely. Somebody, the, the gang of the police, of the jails, of the judges, of the lawyers, they outsmarted your gang right now. And so we got to talk about that. We got to, you know, in, re in real time, what does that look like for the decisions you make tomorrow how do you prepare yourself while you're in here? Because they they got shorter sentences as, as young people, um, so they're really for real going to go out for real. And and giving them giving that moment of reflection allows them to to really think more deeply about the decisions that got them up to that place to make more opportunities to change. So I like that work. I like that the setting. Um, you know, they, they they you know they all just they all just kids to me at the end of the day. Like you know I'm, I see. You know, I see their rap sheet. I see what they've done. And so people will, will see him. A judge will see him. A lawyer will see him and see like a monster or see a savage or see somebody that's you know, lost hope. But I always see kids. And by the time you're 15, you know what I'm saying, you never even had the, the, the right or responsibility to make the kind of decisions in your life and your community to have full responsibility for it. And so a lot of times I see them as, you know, stuff, stuff has been happening to them. And now they got to, they're in that moment where they got to figure out how to regain their own power and their own independence. And it's hard to do that as a regular teenager anyway, but after having a series of trauma, and of, you know, neglect, all the kind of stuff that happens, that we know happens to these kids, 
we still see them as monsters. Still, even though we got the analysis, we understand that they didn't get what they needed. They weren't fed. They weren't protected. They weren't the institutions weren't created to provide what they what they needed. And we still see them. We still throw them away. It, it, us, like we ain't talking about white people at this point. We talking about us. And yeah. so we gotta we gotta do the work to reframe how we understand and how we go back and do the, do like you saying, go back in there and just claim our, our people like they are us. Um, and so. I think that's what's the problem with society. Mm-hmm. Um, we know now that the front lobe of the brain is not fully developed right, until right. you're in your mid-20s. Right. So as you said, a lot of them is in their teens, 15, 16 years old, and they're not making conscious decisions. Mm-hmm. But as they get older, they will reflect on the mistakes that they made, and we have to prepare them so that they don't continuously make these mistakes. Yeah. And we're the only ones that can, can help them with that because yeah. we... It is our responsibility to break this generational curse. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to go back to your book, right? Your book, it deals primarily with manhood and relationships. And in there, you break down verbal communication and nonverbal communication. In this age, in this time that mm-hmm. we're living in, yeah. it's a lot of nonverbal communication mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this cell phone mm-hmm. thing, man, is off mm-hmm. the meat rack. Yeah. Like, you yeah. can't go to a party, you can't yeah. go to a game, you can't even go into church yeah. and not see 75 mm-hmm. to 85% of the people on their phone. Yeah, yeah. Talk about some of the verbal communication skills that one should have when they're in a relationship as opposed to the nonverbal communication skills? Because some of those skills are good too yeah. when you're in a relationship. Talk about that a little bit. So the thing about the phones, it's a big issue. Because um, I'm on the phones too. It's the thing, you know, we adults, I, I'll be in my, in my car and I'll be at a stop sign, right? Like yeah. it, it, a minute go by, my, <laughs> my brain will get bored. I don't, I don't even... Like I understand the appeal, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's shiny, it's moving, it's a hundred people contacted one, you know what I'm saying, at one time. So um, I understand why 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 it gets to draw any attention that it does. But I also appreciate going through high school and college for the most part without social media being what it is. Um, because I, what I think it allowed me to do is to really develop the human kind of, you know what I'm saying, compassionate tender, emotional, like all the stuff that we want to, we want to develop as humans mm-hmm. doesn't just happen as individuals. We're not like, we're not like an apple just, just come out of a tree. We, we were born from two people and then every single thing that means success and wellness depends on community and interaction and inter, interdependence. And so there's no way to develop your full self without being in community and in relationship. And there's just basic skills that you got to be able to have to be able to make eye contact, to be able to to read, you know what I'm saying, your own intuition and how it responds to people, to be able to know what feelings happen in your own body. Like you got, I got a bunch of men that just, I ask them, you know, how you feeling? Like, you know, what do you, are you happy? What makes you happy? Like real basic human stuff. And they had never even considered those kinds of questions. They wow. just spent so much time going through the motions and just, you know what I'm saying, men do this, you know, posturing of being okay all the time, but never spend, sit down long enough to even feel their breath in their body, to even like feel where sadness or grief sits. If it's in your stomach or if your chest gets tight, or if your shoulders are tense, like just real basic. And we say, we say know thyself, men go right to reading books, you know what I'm saying? But like when I say know thyself, I mean like, Understand what what your body is telling you. Real yeah. basic, you know, simple stuff that that requires some distance from the technology. That some of those some of these processes can only happen in the silence of you and your creator and in nature and in your own sort of mind, body, spirit relating to itself. And so, if you wake up scrolling and then you put earphones in and then you watch the TV before you fall asleep, that you got somebody else's ideas in your head the whole time. You never get that moment. And it's something really critical about the developmental stage of adolescence where you figure out who you are and what you're about and, you know what I'm saying, who who you made of, that this phone, the phones are, are taking away the opportunity to do some of that, just sitting in quiet, reflecting, meditating, if you call it that, um, and, and starting there before you can then start to develop those kind of skills and interactions with other people, friends, girlfriends, family, whatever it is. And some of those, you know, some of those skills just happen organically when people are forced to sit still and be alone and have a real conversation. But if you're texting 10 people at a time, 
you you missing stuff. You missing yeah. stuff in yourself. You missing stuff in them. There's a richness. You're doing too much. You're doing too much. <laughs> yeah, you and you miss out on 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 the beauty of what relationships are supposed to be about. That you know, what I'm saying you're just moving, you collecting, and you saying things. You know, what I'm saying, but you never you never really learn about a person or yourself because everything's so spread so thin. So um, it's a real problem right now. I think. Well, we're gonna take a distance from technology right now and we're going to go to a commercial break but when we come back we're going to talk more about manhood we're going to talk about teaching young black men to value black women and some other good stuff so make sure y'all stay tuned in this is necessary blackness podcast i am your host raheem shabazz and we are sitting here with dr obari Peace and Black Power family. Elementary Genocide provides a critical expose of mass incarceration, the war on drugs, and the connection between slavery, capitalism, and the prison industrial complex. Visit our website at www.elementarygenocide.com. Now available, Elementary Genocide, the school to prison pipeline. Elementary Genocide 2, the Board of Education versus the Board of Incarceration. And the newest release, Elementary Genocide 3, Academic Holocaust. Log on today to purchase your very own three-set docu-series. Uh, this is Candace D. McKinley. I'm running for school board, District 2. The election is May 22nd. Again, the election is May 22nd. Please come out and vote. Tell your friends, everybody, that Candace D. McKinley is running. And I'm here for all children to have the opportunity to have success in their schools. Thank you so much. Yo, what's up, y'all? This is the Lowrider Guru, Thomas T.J. Lofton from Compton, California. When I'm traveling around the world or I'm in the car, I got Necessary Blackness podcast on checking out my man, Ryan Shabazz. Yo, what up? It is the Mohawk and Real Talk and Living Fully Businessfully, Dave Anderson of the Business Fully Podcast. You know me when you see me. You heard me in these streets. If you haven't, that's just me breathing down your neck. You are listening to the Necessary Blackness podcast with my brother, my homeboy, my main Number one cousin from another oven, my man Ryan Shabazz, man. Get in, get your mind right because it's necessary. This is Siraj, founder of the Man in the Mirror Project, hanging out with Raheem Shabazz all the way from the UK, representing that Necessary Blackness podcast. Peace. This is Zaza Ali. And when I am not studying the science of the universe and the laws of creation, I am listening to the big homie Raheem Shabazz on Necessary Blackness. Make sure you support. Peace. Persons interested in broadcasting a commercial can reach us via email at necessaryblacknesspodcast at gmail.com. Necessary Blackness is distributed on all major podcast platforms iTunes, Stitcher, iHeart, SoundCloud, Podomatic, and Google Play. We'll also promote your business and product across our various social media networks, reaching over 100,000 people daily. Hey, what's going on, man? It's Arthur M. Henry here. Whenever I want to get the latest on politics, social life issues facing our black community, I tune in to Necessary Blackness with Raheem Shabazz. All right, family. We are back from our quick commercial break. And we're going to discuss a chapter in this book. And this chapter deals primarily with the media. And I'm going to read a quote from it. It says, before TV and the internet, the only media around was books. That's how information was shared around the world. Now, juxtaposed to today, 2018, with the advent of social media, we are overconsumed with information. And a lot of it is not the right information. Um, when you put out a book, you always had to defend your scholarship, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. And no one got an exception to the rule, whether you was John Henry Clark, Ivan Van Sertema, you know, you had others that challenged their opinion, and you had others that used them as sources and was able to quote them on their scholarly work. How important, Dr. Obari, is the media today for this generation and how can we use it to our advantage and not just as a social media tool? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think what you're doing is the answer for that for me, um, making documentaries teach the truth. And so 
there's no way of getting around YouTube. I use a lot of technology in my presentations. I use a lot of hip hop videos. So like I, I couldn't be as effective without the technology. But um what you're saying is is, is right on just about the the authenticity of the source of information. It's harder to to really have to know what's credible right now. Um because you got people getting off on just spreading fake news like that's what they 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 loved like just getting people confused and so we in the age of information but without the wisdom the information can turn into chaos and Absolutely. chaos just leads young people just all over the place and not having no footing on nothing and so we got to get back to serious study and that can happen through you know what i'm saying the internet to some degree but it's got to be it's got to be supplemented at least with some actual you know old school Pen to paper, books, writing, just you know, so old, old scholarship because there's something about there's actually something about reading that's that's part of the process too because it, it slows you down. Um, there's something about being able to create your own images in your mind from looking at a book, Absolutely. and we in a very image driven society through Snapchat and Instagrams, and most of those images are created by somebody outside of us, outside of our communities. So we letting people use images to just completely direct the attention of our young people. So we got to take that back. We also got to refocus their attention to paper and to pencils and to opening books and to being able to develop their own visions in their minds about solving problems, about their future, their personal life future. Um, you talk to young people and ask them how they see themselves when they're 50. And yeah. they, 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 they blank because they're not even used to cultivating their own images in their brain. They're waiting for somebody else to put that image in them for, for, from the outside, and it's too much power to give away. So we got to get that back. And the image is worth a thousand words. Yeah. So image is everything, whether it's an image of yourself yep. or the image that you give off that is a worldview for other people around the country True. to perceive you. So let's... Let's continue the conversation and let's talk about mental health mm -hmm. because that's what you have a doctor's in, correct? Yep, yep, yep. I want to ask you a question. Why is there such a stigma mm. when one has mental issues, mm -hmm. mental health issues yeah, yeah. in our community, especially, you know, the black community? Yeah. Where did this stigma uh, originated from and what can we do to overcome it? Yeah. Um, historically for me, I think that the root of it is us never really fully getting out of the survival mode that our enslavement experience put us in. And so for generations, generation, we knew we were in a situation where we could not be well completely, where we could not thrive and be independent and free for real. But we just, like our ancestors knew that it was in the worst trauma we ever experienced, but decided to continue to bear life just for the hope that one day maybe we would be, have a different opportunity. And so I think that we pass down, sometimes genetically, just that trait of survival, of just making it day to day, of just, you know what I'm saying, just barely just getting by. And you got a lot of people, I think, that are still comfortable with that. And so when we talk about doing more than surviving, when I'm talking about really for real being well, really having peace, really having joy, really tapping into your purpose and character, those things become uncomfortable. Um, because there's barriers to some of that. And a lot of it is also embedded in the trauma that we pass, pass down from generation to generation. And some of that means scars and wounds and stuff that's it's embarrassing. There's a lot of shame about the struggle. And so we, we I think that we have a motivation to try to appear like we're cool. Like, you know, we, you want to posture like everything's fine. Um, you don't want nobody to know deep down inside you're struggling. Um, the only emotion that men in particular ever get to show is is anger. But we don't yeah. ever get to show guilt or embarrassment or disappointment or sadness or fear. So we got all this stuff that we used to just stuffing inside so that we could practice the the the, the performance mm. of being okay. And mm. never not really actually for real being okay. And I think that to focus on mental wellness is the key to really thinking about what are the the scars we gotta dig up, what are the the things that were passed down that we gotta unearth. And and that work is hard work, man. It's, there's no there's no way around it being easier to just cope, to just get by, to just day to day. But the hard work is to really like face yourself. And people don't want to do that. People just want to put a coat on top of it and, and put on like the appearance of being fine. But to do the work of facing yourself, to facing your parents, to looking at the shame that that, that we passed down, and to find the power in that is 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 work. But the, on the other side of it is the type of 
joy and freedom that I don't even know that we sometimes think we deserve. So we got to get to that first. So you spoke about passing down trauma. Yeah. A few years ago, an article came out, and I think it was with the CDC, mm. and um, it wasn't nothing new to us, mm -hmm. but it was almost like mainstream began to embrace it. Yeah. And they found a gene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I forget what the name of his call, but this particular gene, um, it says that trauma can be passed down for mm -hmm. seven generations. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if I'm not mistaken, um, you can correct me. I think what we five generations out of uh, mm -hmm. slavery or yeah. Jim Crow. Yeah. So we haven't even reached that seventh generation uh, time span. So and worse than that, the trauma never ended. Yeah, right. It was never a moment where they say, "Okay, you free now," and just go find a way to heal yourself. Yeah, the absolutely. freedom never really ended, and then the continued trauma on top of the other trauma. We, you know, what I'm saying, if we don't, we, if we don't, if we can't look at that, then we'll never really be free for real. And I think a lot of things that happen, you know, when you look at. Mike Brown, yeah. when he laid in the street right, right. for hours, right. and all those people that just witnessed that. Yeah. And then on CNN, where they just constantly played it and played it mm -hmm. and played it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the situation with Freddie Gray, yeah. uh, Philando Castell, yeah. Eric Gardner, and just so, so many more. Yeah. You know, just to constantly see that. And... Um, it's it's almost to the point, man, where we become numb to it, mm -hmm. to the pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I have individuals that tell me when I'll send them something like, yo, you just seen what just happened? Yo, this mm -hmm. is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Another mm -hmm. killing. Mm -hmm. And did you see the link that I sent you? And they tell me, Raheem, I didn't open that. Yeah. I, I can't watch that yeah. no more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and I'll be yeah. like, that's trauma. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. some way, somehow, we have to deal with that as a community, as a, as a people, and we need spaces that we can go to, and we need professionals such as yourself yeah. that can begin that healing process. Yeah. So my next question to you, So let me brother. say something real quick about okay. that. One of the things that's, that's, that's really important to understand about the the lasting impact of trauma is that we experience it in a way that seems like it comes out of nowhere. Like mm -hmm. That's what makes it work because then you can't, if you can't predict it, then you, you, you stay in a state of being traumatized because you never know at what point the trauma is going to come back again. Mm. And so the thing that we have the advantage of after hundreds of years in this place is that some of this is predictable. You name it lists of names of structures of, of police violence that go back to, you know, slave catcher violence, go back to mm -hmm. you know, saying, all of it. Um, there's a pattern that we see, and and they and they they they've mastered it in lots of ways. And so, if we are to really be able to understand how to mentally free ourselves, we got to study those patterns. We got to have better analysis about historical context, about social, political, economic realities, and teach that to young people because they see the Mike Browns and the Philando Castiles, and they see it coming out of nowhere. So then they just stay on edge. They don't want to see it because it just reminds them of powerlessness and it turns into numbness. But if we can teach systemic oppression in a way that's clear for them, we can also teach systemic resistance that's clear for them. We can mm. teach that we fought the whole time. We can teach that we got power the whole time. And if we cultivate that, then you can start to not just be a victim of the systems of, of trauma over and over again, but you can start to be an agent and act against it and to create new institutions and find ways to, to be <coughs> mentally well and whole in the, in the context of the politics of, of, of the time we live in. And, and, and psychologists and counselors, we're not good at that. We're real good at like the individual. You go in, teach breathing techniques, get them to think different, but we're not, we're not good at unpacking the, unpacking the conditions that created the trauma, the, looking at your neighborhood, looking at food deserts, looking at policies, looking at the decisions that people make to make, make perpetual trauma in your neighborhood. Mm. And if you don't see that, then you just see... Well, my family must just be dysfunctional. There must be something wrong with my mom and my grandma because every time I see black people, they they sorrow, they they pain, and they full of anguish. But like, if you can't point to the actors that create those conditions, then you'll never really be able to find the tools to be able to free yourself. You just we just we, we pacifying people just by you send a bunch of counselors in the schools and they're just they won't have that kind of context. Like, cause we're not training that. We're getting trained by white people too. 
And so all of it, we got to we got to put all these pieces together. So what I think mental health mental wellness is it's connected to social political oppression in ways that like wasn't that wasn't in none of the books I read at school. Right? You ain't gonna we get that, that in, in, in white psychology. Nah, they, they you get that from Naeem Akbar. Absolutely, absolutely. You get that from uh, Jawanza Kanjufu, right. and now we can get it from Dr. Obama. True. Yeah. So I want to go to another element, right? What are some of the telltale signs for someone that's dealing with mental illness hmm. or mm-hmm. that's have some type of mental health issue? If I'm a family member, yeah. what's some of the telltale signs I can do and how best can I assist someone that's dealing hmm. with that mm-hmm. situation? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Um, in, one, in some ways, it's, it's a hard question because there's so much sickness that gets passed off as normality mm. because the people that, that write the diagnosing tools, they sick themselves. And so you can live in a country where the last president seemed like he was a good dude, but like he was one of the most violent people on the planet for eight years. And so you see people with suits and ties and they're making money. We got these ideas of success that make it, that, that, that create normal, normalcy. But a lot of that, particularly in America, is, is sickness undiagnosed racism yeah. oppression these they're controlling people and manipulating money and all that kind of stuff all of that poverty is a, is a result of somebody else's sickness and so um we got people that like seem like they're doing well but they're not and so what it means to be doing well is a question we got to ask much more broadly than, than than we do but on a day-to-day um if you get somebody in your family if you see them sort of take a turn we got to pay attention to like them getting off off of their course. We know, you know what I'm saying, what people normally enjoy. Um, if they people got plans and visions, if people are going to school or going to work or trying to engage in relationships, like just regular life stuff. If they're doing that and then all of a sudden they're not interested in that or something seems off, like pay attention to those real like something seemed off about him today. My little, little Malik wasn't he wasn't the same Malik that I'm that I knew last time. Mm. Those are real important like clues. You don't okay. need no degree for that. You really just need to you just need to pay closer attention to your people, and and part of back back to the technology we were talking about. We so we stuck in your phone all day. You you're not looking at your people. You're not making eye contact. You don't realize that for some reason he's not even being able to look at you in the eye no more. Mm. He, he used to have a strong eye contact. He used to have a strong handshake. He used to hug me different, but now he seemed like he jumped a little bit when I touch him. Maybe somebody touched him. Right, mm-hmm. right. So these real like subtle shifts in people's behavior become clues. So, so those those don't mean you send them away to some you know psychiatrist. That just mean you ask a couple more questions than you might have. You say, "No, for real. Like, you you okay for real? I'm that kind of dude like that. Like, you got to ask me five times for real. Like, you somebody asked me if I'm fine. Yeah, I'm good. Like, I'm cool. You ask me if I'm doing. Uh, you know, I could be have dealt with death. I could have had you know I'm saying all kind of shit happen in my life. You ask me how I'm doing, for the most part, I'm always going to say I'm fine. Um, but if somebody really want to know for real, there's a different way you go about that. Mm-hmm. There's a different relationship you, you 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 develop. It takes a little bit more time, a little bit more compassion, a little more attention. And so we got to extend that to each other, to our family. Um, and if you just do that, just to you know, sit with, our, with your people a little bit more, then those, those answers will come out. They will start to feel more comfortable to say, okay, he really do care enough about me so I can reveal... I could be vulnerable. I could take off my man mask and say I'm hurting. You know, something happened to me, um, and then you can start to figure out how to how to direct services and find help if they need to. If you can't do it within your your family um, or within your community, then you might have to go find a professional. Um, and that's a whole other process. But like yeah. the beginning of it has to be just stand tuned in to your people. Now you know what I noticed. And this is um, something that I witnessed when mm-hmm. I was uh, behind enemy lines. Yeah. I used to see a lot of um, people with mental illness, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And when they call medication, yeah, I mean, they run out the cell block mm-hmm. to get that mm-hmm. medication. Mm-hmm. And um, don't be in their way because they will mm-hmm. knock you down trying to get to, yeah. to the medication. Yeah. But they run out, but when they're coming back- yeah. It's almost like you're like doing a Hollywood shuffle, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And I always said to myself, no matter what I go through, however depressed I am, mm-hmm. I'm never gonna be on that line mm-hmm. getting medication, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it was only to recently, well, not recently, but 
probably within the last maybe 10 years, I learned that um, certain diets and yeah. herbs and things like that yeah, you yeah, can yeah, take yeah, 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 yeah. to deal with certain type of uh, mental illness or, you know, things like that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, for sure. Um, well, I will first say that there are some cases where people need medicine. Um, I'm not a strong advocate of medicine, of, of, the, of, of pharmaceutical medications. Um, I think there's a lot of money to be made in the perpetuation of sickness that they 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 benefit from. And so, um, but there are people who have neurological chemical imbalances that require certain medicines to get on on back 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 on square. Um, for the most part, though, I think that a lot of that can be prevented um, through stuff like you're saying, like diet. Um, through just getting exercise, through normal healthy activity, through the sun has medicine in it. Um, there's stuff, the art, music, like the stuff, touch is medicine. And so, um, and in the same way that, you know, particularly for men, I talk, I talk to a lot of men. There's, there's the, 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 the reaction that men have and the people that you're talking about behind enemy lines that are suffering from the pain and the confusion and all of the turmoil that happens inside um, you just want to quiet that down, right? So it becomes worth the Hollywood shuffle to exchange for all of the noise that's happening. It's chaos. And so whether it's medication or whether it's weed these days, right, or or drugs or sex or money or violence, there's, there's so many things that men have to just not feel the pain. Mm. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't cultivate the, you know what I'm saying, the, the muscle of being able to experience and go through pain for particularly for our boys. And, and I think that, you know, there's so many things to distract from that, that I think that we need to, to, to move away so that we can develop the experience of knowing that it'll pass on its own and that there's deliberate things that I can do to restore my own health and balance that my, my body, my community, my family has natural things embedded in it to maintain wellness but those things not in place. And so without those things, you got to supplement them with the, the pills and the corporations and all that kind of stuff. But um, there's, there's stuff that we can do to make sure our, our children are okay. We're not doing that stuff. Um, if, we, if, we don't, if we don't do those things, we don't get our relationships together. If we don't prioritize being out with nature, if we don't prioritize just moving our bodies and all that kind of stuff, then uh, we'll continue to depend on Western medicines to maintain balance and um, and they go, they gonna continue to profit off of that. And so, so you know, there's specific areas for, for specific you know ailments or whatever, just like physical. But the the more general conversation for me is what can we do as a community to prevent the imbalance that occurs when we don't do what we know humans are designed to need. That includes studying what our African ancestors have always done. We've been here on the planet longer than anybody has been on the planet. We got the, the answers to all these questions Absolutely. in us, but we keep going outside of it. We keep trying to study other people's stuff, and uh, we always going to be confused. We'll, all, we will stay in a state of chaos unless we reclaim the wisdom and the knowledge and the actual the practices of maintaining balance in our families and our communities. And, you know, another thing that I think leads to a lot of mental illness in our community is what we intake. Yeah. You yeah, know, like yeah. you said, the food a lot, a lot, a lot of us is not eating healthy, yeah, yeah. and we're being poisoned. Yeah, you know, when you look at the water and yeah. the fluoride that's in the water, and they got arsenic and all yeah. these different chemicals and lead poisoning, it deteriorates our mental stability. Yeah, and then you have people that can't sit st straight. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Can't sit still in school. And they are labeled with these labels, and then they're in special ed. So that's why, as I got older and I began to see what it is and not what it presented itself to be, mm -hmm. I began to understand it a little more. And yeah. then I began to have empathy yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. towards those that are suffering from mental illness, yeah. for those that are yeah. homeless. Yeah. A lot of times, if you sit down and you take the time to talk to them, yeah. Some of them are the brightest minds. Yeah, yeah. The things that they know and some of the things that they say, you'll be like, wow, that's yeah. amazing. I never yeah. thought about it like that. Yeah. So, it, and the intake includes ideas too, right? So, you got to be real careful. You got to mind your mind in a much more deliberate way than we do. 
So they poisoning us. We we can document that the lead, the the water, um, but we also poison ourselves. Just eating McDonald's and eating the so-called soul food. People still eat fucking McDonald's, which is crazy to me, right? (laughs) We feed it to our kids. We eat, you know, Takis and Flamin' Hots and all these. And so so all of these things create a whole comprehensive, you know, imbalance that makes us susceptible to all kinds of chaos and confusion. You know what keeps me insane, though? Reading. Yep. And so that's the idea. So, so, so... We are the, the world has gotten so sophisticated that it knows that if I can plant plant the idea in his mind that dude is savage, that he ain't gonna be nothing, that he ain't beautiful, that all these kind of things, that these become building blocks for character and identity too. And so self fulfilling all of that, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So when I was behind enemy lines, and I used to tell myself, I'm never gonna be on that line. Yeah. I'm never gonna be doing that Hollywood yeah. shuffle. Yeah. yeah. I think what saved me was by me being an avid reader. Yeah. And I was able to transport my mind yeah. to somewhere that wasn't nowhere mm-hmm. within a hundred mile radius yeah. of where I was actually existing. Yeah. They can't touch that. And that was through the books. Yeah. Reading books by Naeem Akbar. Yeah. 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 Uh, Ivan Van Serpen, mm-hmm. John Henry mm-hmm. Clark, yeah. William Chancellor, yeah. and so many others. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Bari, this event tomorrow that's happening in Atlanta, what can the people expect? Um, so, I mean, I do a lot of work with young people, and so I'm going to share some of the, the tools and the, and the videos I use, some of the perspectives that I use just to get young men's attention around um, just having a different conceptualization of how we relate to women. Um, I think a lot of times, by the time they get older, we just want to put, you know, kind of empty phrases on top of them. Don't hit the girls to like treat, respect them. Um, but we put that on top of a, a faulty foundation. We don't really go back and unearth the the foundation of how they even view and value women. And so I, I do a lot of work around that and just how to do that effectively. What are the sequence of questions and conversations and prompts that you need to do to really get them to pay attention to that? So I want to share some of that uh, to the audience here in, in Atlanta and, and, and have a conversation about ways that people have learned to do that in their own families, with their own schools, and, and just help each other sharp, sharpen all of our tools around this. Because if we can't get this you know, real basic valuing women, valuing yourself, you know what I'm saying? Just real, you got whole slogans like Black Lives Matter just to have the world be convinced that we're important, but we don't demonstrate that amongst ourselves, particularly between men and women as, as, as a focus. So we'll talk about that. We're going to have a real honest conversation about all the different ways that um, men are trained to not have an inherent value for women and ways to undo some of that learning. So Alana. And for those that are in the surrounding area, make sure you come out. It's going to be happening tomorrow at the Shrine of the Black Madonna. And um, make sure y'all support Brother Obari. And how can people get in contact with you on your social media? Um, on Facebook, Dr. Obari Cartman, O-B-A-R-I-C-A-R-T-M-A-N, uh, Instagram at O-C-A-R-T-M-A-N-1, Twitter at the same thing. I got a website, uh, com. best way to find me. Make sure y'all support this brother. Make sure y'all purchase his book. I have a copy right here, and it's called Ladies, Men. Conversation for young black men about manhood and relationships. We need that in our life, family. Let's support this brother. Um, in your last closing word, is there anything that I should have asked you or anything that you want to say? No, nah, man. I just appreciate the platform. Appreciate the opportunity. You said something on um, on your social media maybe a couple of weeks ago that really that really touched me about. Um, somebody was asking you about who finances your tour. Right. Oh yeah, and yeah, you were saying yeah. like, this ain't—it's not good business, but this ain't business. This yeah. is personal, yeah, right? This absolutely. Is, and you know, I, re- I really, I, I, I connect with that. Um, and so, I wish it was business to a degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And know, there's got to be a balance. We got to figure yeah, out the balance too. But you know, it's 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 personal. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean. Yeah. And if I do make a a, a few. Coins from it, yeah. You know all the merry and all the better. And we need to make the coins, like yeah. you would not to discount the, the infrastructure that that requires. You oh, know, absolutely. Finances, but at the root of this, um, 
I know I lose money. My book now on Amazon because I ain't want white people to touch it. Right? Mm. Uh, you can only get it at black bookstores in any city I go to, and so that mean I ain't gonna have no you know big name sponsors you know sending me out around uh, talking about the stuff I'm talking about. So these kind of opportunities, podcasts, independent radio, all kind of stuff, I, I really just I value the opportunity and people doing that's that why, kind of that's work. That's why so, we have to support you. Yeah. And then another thing, you know, when you unapologetic yeah. and you speak truth to power yeah. and you post. Certain things such as myself, you know, on uh, these social media sites, I probably could never get a job. Yeah, right, 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 right. Because they will pull up a Instagram, <laughs> right. a tweet, right, and be right, like, right. get him out of here. Right, right. He's a black right. extremist. Right. You know, so um, I'm, I'm very much aware of that, you know, and I have other people that tell me, you know, Raheem... You you might be able to get up in some of them Ivy League schools mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. do lectures and yeah, and, tone it down a little bit. Yeah, just tone yeah, it down yeah, a little yeah. bit. But you know, um, I never envisioned myself of of being in those type of circles, yeah. traveling in them type of circles. Not that I haven't, not that I won't, but you know that that's not a priority to me. You right. know, you got to meet the people where they at mm-hmm. and. The majority of our people ain't sitting in no Ivory League cl- class waiting for me to come up in there and give them no lecture. Mm-hmm. So um, I'll pass on that and I'll continue to inspire my people. And I want to thank you for all that you do. Um, we always missing each other. Mm-hmm. You was just here. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't forget. That, how long ago was that you was About here? A month or so, maybe? month or so. And I was trying to get him on the podcast. The yeah, brother yeah, was yeah, too yeah, busy. Yeah. I seen he posted that he's going to be here. I said, let me try this one more time. And he was like, all right, yeah, let's make it happen. When I was in Chicago, mm-hmm. it just so happened the day that I was doing a screening, you yeah. had something else mm-hmm. going on. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. we we always missing each other, but we constantly doing the work. And then we always going to meet up. Like, I done seen you at two, three yeah, different yeah, yeah, events. Yeah, yeah. And that's what happened, man. When you out here and you in the community and you doing the work, you're going to cross paths with those that are actually doing the work. Yeah. You know, um, most of the people that y'all like to support, you're only going to see them on YouTube. And um, that's unfortunate to me. But if you want to see Dr. Obari, make sure you come out tomorrow. What time again? Six o'clock. Six to eight. At the Shrine of the Black Madonna. My name is Raheem Shabazz, and this is Necessary Blackness Podcast, and we'll see you next week. Peace and power, black family. Necessary Blackness Podcast is independent. We do not accept sponsorship dollars from corporations. We are supported by the people such as yourself that know. In war, the first casualty is the truth. We are at war with racism and white supremacy and must continue to tell the truth. So support us by purchasing the Necessary Blackness Podcast t-shirt. You can send an email to Podcast at gmail.com.